Amen. The Lord has indeed done marvelous things, and he is worthy to be praised. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thank the Lord for giving us another opportunity to be in this sacred spot just one more time to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, there's nothing that we've done that we deserve the right to be here today. It's only by God's grace and his mercy that we sit where we're sitting and that we're able uh, to worship him today. So we give God great praise today. Amen. 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 Well, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, this is something to celebrate about. This is something uh, marvelous that God has done in the life of the church globally. Uh, because of Pentecost, we're able to worship. Because of Pentecost, we're, we're able to share the gospel. Because of Pentecost, we're able to encourage one another. So we thank God uh, for Pentecost today. Uh, there is a word from the Lord today uh, taken from Romans chapter 8. Uh, verses 14 to 17. And as I thought about and praying about what God would have me to, to preach on this particular Sunday, because, you know, when you have these annual days, uh, sometimes you, you want to ask God to give you fresh insight uh, into the Word of God. And so that is exactly what God has done today. So I want to call your attention to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Let us stand for the public reading of Scripture. And we will start at verse 14. Let us read together. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. It is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord lasts forever. And I want to hang as a title over this text, God's indwelling presence, God's indwelling presence presence. You know, when I was a kid, uh, there was, there was this, this lady in our church. Her name was Mary. I never knew Miss Mary's last name, but the church I grew up, Somerville Baptist Church. We only had about 75 members, and uh, it was Reverend Brown was the pastor, and we had service every second and fourth Sunday. Uh, the reason we had service every second and fourth Sunday, because Reverend Brown pastored another church every first and third Sunday. So every second and fourth Sunday, we would gather together and we would worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And uh, I, I sung in the choir. My, my grandmother was the president of the choir. My mother was the musician. And my cousin Tyrone and Tony and Mike were in the choir, not by, not by choice, but we were drugged to choir. Amen, somebody. And every, every now and then, Miss Mary would sing this song that I've been rehearsing all, all week, just been thinking about that song uh, as it relates to this passage. And the song goes a little bit like this. If anybody asks you uh, who I am, who I am, who I am, 
if anybody asks you uh, who I am, I want you to tell them I'm a child of God. You know I would not be a sinner. I, I tell you the reason why. Because I'm afraid my Lord might call on me and I wouldn't be ready to die. Oh, if anybody asks you who I am, who I am, who I am, if anybody asks you who I am, I want you to tell them I'm a child, tell them I'm a child, tell them I'm a child of God. And I must admit today that I did not understand the significance of that song as a, as a 10, 12-year-old growing up. I didn't understand what, what was meant by that question, if anybody asks you uh, who I am, tell them I'm a child of God. But that, that song captures, captures the essence of what Paul is saying in this passage uh, today, that uh, at the end of the day, God doesn't want to know what, what, what you did. He doesn't want to know your occupation. He doesn't want to know your pedigree. The question comes that you are a child of God. And, and that's the most important thing to us as Christians, that God has poured out his love on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that's, that is what we are, according to 1 John, that God has poured out his love on us. And while, while we're in this parenthetical season, we're going through growing pains, and God is shaping us and molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. So we, we are children of God. And so here in, here in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, uh, Paul wants to solidify that idea to the early church in Rome that they were children of God. Perhaps some of them uh, were questioning their identity. Perhaps some of them felt like what was going on on the outside did not affirm what was going on on the inside. And Paul says very emphatically that because of the Spirit's work, we are children of God. And so, brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the day of Pentecost and reflect on the significance for us corporately as the body of Christ— that is the church, but also let us reflect on it personally, that his indwelling presence implies intimacy and communion. Let us notice today that there is a beauty about this glorious day that should captivate us. Uh, it's a day that we should be infatuated with, like every flower of the field or in a garden that waits to be pollinated by those God-ordained pollinators that we call butterflies and bees. That, 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 that likewise, brothers and sisters, because of Pentecost, because of what God has done uh, to, to us, just like these pollinators, these, they fulfill that seasonal purpose in their role to bring bo botanical beauty to the earth. Pentecost marks the day when the church the body of Christ 
became pollinators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever we as Christians find ourselves, let it be said that we convey the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ through our words and our actions. Unfortunately, we live in a life, live in a world of brokenness, but there are glimpses of beauty all around us. The crowning glory of God's creation is humanity, and there is nothing more beautiful than humanity. God's crowning glory of creation. There's nothing more beautiful than, than human beings. And in spite of our brokenness, God sees something in us worth redeeming. In spite of our brokenness, he sees something in us worth dying for. The most important and most beautiful reality about the day of Pentecost is the biblical fact of God's indwelling presence. It cannot be denied. Amen. God's indwelling presence in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. Something happened on the day of Pentecost. And the spiritual ripple effect reverberates in our very lives. What are the implications of this profound spiritual reality? How does the indwelling presence of God change us? How do we cooperate uh, with the indwelling spirit of God in our lives? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to try to answer some of those questions. First, I, I want us to notice today that because of God's indwelling presence, because God has taken up residence in us, there is a change of leadership. Look at what he says here in verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What a, what a beautiful reality. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, one of the di distinguishing factors that, that authenticates the fact that we are children of God is that we are led by the Spirit of God. We are no longer under, we are no longer under the influence of the flesh. We are not led by the flesh any longer or as Paul uses this word flesh, it's the Greek word sarx, which means, can be interpreted as sin nature. But we are led by the Spirit of God. We are under the leadership of the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but when I look at my translation, there's, a, there's a, 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 the word spirit with a small s, and there's the word spirit with a capital S which is the, the implication is God's spirit is bigger than our spirit. That God's spirit is superior to our spirit. And so the, this, this idea, it, it's not enough for the spirit to be resident in our lives. In other words, the spirit can be, be in, in proximity to us, but have no influence over us. But the spirit must be president over our lives. God the Holy Spirit is not a guest in our home. He desires to be the host of our home. He, he desires to show us and to guide us where he wants us to go. So that this word uh, being led uh, for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. This verse uh, is packed with emotion. Uh, this word is packed. The word translated led could be translated driven. 
moved. Uh, the children of God are moved powerfully from within by the Spirit of God. It's the same idea in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Scripture tells us that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, that's an interesting place for the Spirit to lead Jesus. Uh, and and I, would, I would assume, I would uh, look at that from, from the perspective that many times the Spirit leads us into places where we might feel uncomfortable. Because uh, the Spirit knows that we will never grow in our comfort zone. So there are times in our lives where the Spirit leads us into situations where we, we, can't, we can't count on mama, we can't count on dad, we can't count on our best friends, we can't count on our income. God strips us of everything where we have to depend on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God leads us into places where we feel uncomfortable because that's where God does his best work in our lives. So we, we, we are driven. We are led by the Spirit. And sometimes we go, we, we quench the Spirit. We don't do what the Spirit wants us to do. But I want you to know today that the Spirit is not concerned about your own self-interest. He, he is not concerned about how you define yourself or, or how you direct yourself. Uh, the, uh, that you have divine parents in God the Father. You have a divine parent that stirs within us and moves us in the direction that God wants us to go. One writer puts, puts it like this, that there's a deeply felt compulsion that the Spirit guides us, that he leads us in the direction that he wants us to go. But here, here's the thing. I want us to understand that the Spirit... We, many times we think about the Holy Spirit, we, we often think of it in terms of emotion, but Paul is emphasizing that the Spirit, that the Spirit is smarter than us. Uh, sometimes we, 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 think, we think that we're smarter than God, but God's IQ is higher than your IQ and my IQ. And even Einstein came to that reality that God was smarter than him. And, and the Scripture tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we can't outsmart God. We just have to trust the intellect of God because he's been to the future and back, and we can trust the intellect of God. Can I get a witness in here today? So there's a change in leadership. In other words, uh, something has happened. God, has, God is transforming us. He's shaping us. He's moving us in a direction. He has plans for us, and we have to trust the direction, the guidance of God, that God knows what he's doing. Even though sometimes we can't see his hand, we, often, we have to trust God's heart. And so here's, here's the thing, you know, God leads us as he leads us, he, he's always leading us into holiness. He's always leading us because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit wants us to look more and more like Jesus. But here's, here's the thing I want us to see also that there's this conflict between the flesh and our faith. 
And, and sometimes uh, the, if we feed the flesh more than we feed our faith, we will, take the, we will follow the leadership of the flesh. But we must feed our faith. We must feed our spirit so that we will follow the leadership of the spirit. How do we feed our spirit? Through the word of God, through fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, through prayer. We, 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 we develop an intimacy with the Holy Spirit so that when the Holy Spirit speaks, we're not second guessing what the spirit is telling us to do. We, we, our relationship with the spirit is so tight that we know what the spirit is leading us to do. So this concept of flesh, Paul points out this, this tension between our flesh and our faith. Uh, the spirit of man versus the spirit of God. Spirit with a small s and spirit with a capital S. That we should give the spirit of God the right of way in our lives. My intellect must submit to the intellect of God. It's a dangerous person who thinks that they're smarter than God. Stay away from that person if they think they're smarter than God. Because brothers and sisters, that, that's nobody. C consider what God has done. He created the universe. Galaxies that we have yet to discover. And you think you're smarter than God? Amen, somebody. I better leave that alone. <laughs> but here's the thing. Because of God's presence, uh, we, there has been a change of leadership. Follow God's leadership because Paul is saying is that that's how we know that we are God's children, that we are led by the Spirit of God. But not only that, not only that, we, we, we have to understand here that the Holy Spirit is in the process of making us what God has already declared us to be. In other words, we, we're already saints but the Holy Spirit is in the process of making us. We are already sanctified positionally, but the Holy Spirit is the process of making us what he has already declared us to be. This is where the process of sanctification comes in. As, as far as the role of the Spirit is concerned in the life of every Christian, it is more about yielding than wielding. It's more about yielding to the unctions of the Holy Spirit, then controlling the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a power that we control. No one has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Rather, he is a person who desires to be in relationship with us and to direct and guide us. Now, I'll never forget when I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Howard Hendricks, uh, in one of our Bible study methods class, he, he said these words that I will never forget, and it really shaped my understanding of discipleship. He said that the Holy Spirit is committed to reproducing the life of Christ in your life. The Holy Spirit, he's committed. He won't give up on you. He won't throw in the towel on you. He is committed to reproducing the life of Jesus. Not the life of your mama. Not the life of your dad. Uh, not your career path. Amen, somebody. But he's committed to reproducing. He wants us to look more and more like Jesus with each coming day. This is what Paul 
wants us to understand. Because here's, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, when we evaluate our lives, the thing that I, I notice in this text is that Paul is saying that God is calling us to change. He's calling us to change. Only, the only thing that doesn't need to change is that which is perfect. And I don't think there's anybody in here perfect today. Amen, somebody. Uh, God is always leading us to change. He's always shaping us and molding us and chiseling us into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so God's, God's ultimate goal is to make us look more and more like Jesus. So the question comes today, compared to last year and this year, have you changed any? Have I changed any? Has, has God uh, changed the way you think about something? Has God changed the way you walk? You know, the, the old folks in my church back home used to, used to capture it this way. I looked at my hands and my hands looked new. I looked at my feet and my feet did too. And, and what they were saying was because of God's indwelling presence, what has happened on the inside has shaped my walk and my talk and the way I live, something has changed. But that's an ongoing change. You, you, you never arrive. Even Paul said, I, I have not arrived, but one thing I do, I press on toward the mark of, of Christ, the high calling in Jesus Christ. So if Paul, hasn't, if Paul realized he hasn't arrived, then how much more should we understand the reality that we have not arrived? And so change should be intentional. Spiritual growth is not an option. Just as a baby has to drink milk and, and eventually will eat strong meat, eat meat so, is it, so, so is the case in our lives as Christians. God wants us to grow in our walk with Christ. You know, just like in the, in the physical world, if, you, if you're in the first grade, the expectation is for you to make it to the second grade. If, you in, if you're in 11th grade, the expectation is for you to make it to the 12th grade. Now, if we expect educational growth, well, how, why, why do we not aim for spiritual growth? Okay, if you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> amen, somebody. So one gets the sense, one gets the sense that, 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 that not only is there a, a change in leadership, but there's a change in lifestyle. Look at what he says here in verse 15. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry. I like the NIV puts it this way, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, that the Spirit leads us to call out to God as Father. This is the same word that Jesus used uh, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba, Father, it, it means Daddy, Papa. It, it's a term of in, endearment. And so, so we, we cry out Abba, Father, because the Spirit induces us to call God our Father. So one, one gets the sense in Paul, the language that the Holy Spirit is a divine agent of change in the life of every believer, the life of every Christian. He will not be a silent bystander in your life. He will speak up in you. He will make you aware when your spiritual equilibrium 
is off. His ultimate goal is to make us look like Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit is not concerned about making you a better version of yourself. Let me say that again. Somebody may have missed it. The Holy Spirit is not concerned about making you a better version of yourself, contrary to popular opinion. He doesn't, he doesn't care about you being a better version of yourself. He wants you to look like Jesus. His main task in our life is to make us look more like Jesus. But I might also add this as a parenthetical note. The Bible is not a self-help book. It, you, you, if, it's, if you go to Barnes & Noble and it's in the self-help section, move it. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that, that was out of line. I'm sorry, guys. But it, it, it is not a, a self-help help book. It's a hymn book. It's a book about God's pursuit of humanity. One writer said it this way, religion is man's pursuit of God, but Christianity is God's pursuit of man. Jesus pursued you. He pursued me. You didn't, you didn't get here on your own. God romanced you and, and drew you to himself. He pursued us. So there's a, there's a change in lifestyle. There's, a, there's a, 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 a transference from a spirit of slavery or bondage to a spirit of adoption. In other words, the implication here is we have moved from fear to freedom. We are no longer under the bondage of sin as Paul points out in Galatians that, that the law was a schoolmaster to show us of our inadequacies. But the bell has rung, and now we, are, we have seen Jesus, the great shepherd of our souls, that he is the one who will guide us and shape us and, and move us and, 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 and redeem us. And so here Paul wants us to know that your lifestyle is distinctively different from, from those who don't know the Lord. That you know God as your father, that you know that you have been adopted. Now, this word adoption is interesting because in, uh, in Jewish antiquity and uh, Jewish culture, there was, there, there was no such thing as adoption. So, Paul gets this idea from the Greco-Roman world. And we, we read in, in, in Greco-Roman antiquity that, that Alexander the Great adopted Caesar Augustus. And, and because of that, Caesar Augustus, Augustus received all the rights and privileges as if he was a biological son of Alexander the Great. And so this concept of adoption means that those uh, who, who are adopted receives all the rights of, and privileges of as if they are a biological son or daughter, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. It, it, it's a beautiful expression because it implies that Jesus and only Jesus is God's biological son. And because of the resurrection, the sonship of Jesus has been conferred on us. That we are sons and daughters of God by virtue of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some of us say, well, Pastor, what about uh, 
all of humanity being children of God? Well, uh, generically, by, by virtue of God being the creator of all of humanity, yes, we are children of God, but, but this is a more intimate sense. This, this, this implies that, that God has, has zeroed in on you and me, that we are the apple of God's eye, that we are precious in his sight. And so the implication here is that, that God has, has conferred on you that when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, uh, he sees Jesus. And so you have all the rights and privileges as if you are God's biological son or daughter. So there's a change in there's a change in lifestyle, but not only that, there's a change in family. There's a change in family. It, it, look at what he says here in verse 16, which is a continuation of the concept of Abba Father. It is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, it's, it's the spirit with a small s that the spirit with a big s confirms that we are God's children. And there are times in our lives where we don't always feel like we are children of God, we, that we are son and daughter of God because what's going on around us may uh, dictate to us otherwise, but God says your faith is not based on your feelings. Your faith is based on the spiritual fact of what God is saying here in this text, that you are children of God, you are a son and daughter of God. And so this, this is a powerful reality because it, it implies that we have access to God. It, it implies that, that, that we're uh, precious in God's sight. And then he goes on to say, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You see, life in the Spirit brings the Christian into a new family relationship with God. And it's a relationship like none other. That we, this relationship, we can come boldly to the throne, and, uh, throne of grace and call on God. That we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And so, the goal of the Holy Spirit is, is not to make us feel comfortable. You know, I have, a, I have just understanding it. When we look at America, we are addicted to comfort. Comfort can be a form of idolatry. It can become a God to us. And I would submit to you today, many times we talk about prosperity gospel, but I would venture to say to you today that a privileged gospel is just as dangerous as a prosperity gospel. In other words, a, a privileged gospel is a gospel that keeps me comfortable and maintains the status quo. It's a lazy boy gospel. It's a gospel that refuses to take up the towel of service. Instead, we are obsessed with covering ourselves with a blanket of comfort and possessions. It is a gospel that prays privileged prayers. And says, dear God, I thank you that I'm not like one of them. We, we have to be careful that we are not 
preaching a privileged gospel or living a privileged gospel. Because if I read my Bible correctly and if I read the gospels correctly, Jesus is always calling the disciples out of their comfort zone. He, he's always putting them in situations where, where only, they can only depend on him. They, they can't depend on their bank account. They can't depend on their pedigree. They can't depend on their education. Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone so that we can be true contributors and live by the gospel mandate that Jesus has imposed on us. So, brothers and sisters, we're part of a new family. There's a change. God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And I, I love how Paul intertwines this in all of his letters, that he calls all, all the people that he's in ministry with brothers and sisters. And I think what Paul is getting at is that we're going to spend eternity together. So we got to learn how to get along with one another down here. And that's, that's why it's so important. That's why Kennedy is so important, because there's no white part of heaven. There's no black part of heaven. There's no Asian part of heaven. There's no Hispanic part of heaven. It's just heaven. Paul says, you can call, you can call God daddy. You can call him papa. You can call him father. You can call him daddy. You can call him papa, and, and God, God will respond to that because it's a term of endearment. It's like that, the story of, of a little girl, little girl and her, her father used to always have this ritual every day, and he would pick up his little girl, and he would throw up in the air, and he'd catch her, and she'd laugh, and she'd say, do it again, papa. And he'd pick, up, he'd pick up again and throw up in the air. And she'd laugh. He'd catch her. He said, do it again, Papa. And as far as that little girl concerned, Papa could do that all day long. And, and she would never get tired. I thought about that because every Sunday when we come together, and, 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 and Pentecost is that moment where God throws us up in the air and we have to trust Papa to catch us. Uh, every Sunday, we're asking God to do it again, Papa, re renew my soul. Do it again, Papa, bring about a revival. Do it again, Papa, give me joy. Do it again, Papa, give me peace. Do it again, Papa, give me love. Every time God, God's want, God wants to throw each and every one of us up in the air and catch us. That's what happens every Sunday. We get in our Papa's hands, and we want to feel Pentecost again. And when, we, when God throws us up in the air, that's like worship. God, God wants to catch us. And God says, and we say to him, do it again. Do it again, Papa. Perhaps you never felt that feeling today, but when you're in God's hands, he, he's not going to drop it. Probably you've never felt that before, but when, God, when you're in God's hands, God will give you joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. God will give you peace that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. God will give you a love that transcends all understanding. And every now and then I pray and I say, do it again, Papa. He's our daddy. He's our Papa. And his indwelling presence makes a difference in our lives. It changes us. It transforms us. It gives us a freshness that only comes with being with Jesus Christ. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for a God who renews us, who changes us. Thank you, Lord, that there has been a change of leadership in our lives, that we are led by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that there's been a change in lifestyle, that we've been transformed. Lord, thank you, Lord, that there is a change, dear God, in our family, that your DNA is in us now, that we are the children of God. And maybe, Lord, there's somebody here today that wants to know, know that, want to feel that sense of family, that sense of belonging. Let them know, Father God, that Jesus makes all the difference in the world and that they can become a part of your family where you can say to them that, you are, that, that, that they're your children, dear God, and they're precious in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.